0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. As always, we are coming to you from our home base in Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte. My name is Luke Coppa and I'm the managing editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. There you can read all of our latest reviews, listen to all of our latest podcasts, watch all of our latest videos learn more about our Blister Plus membership program, sign up for our upcoming Blister Summit, and a whole lot more. Today I'm talking with Kyle Siegel, the founder of Raid, which is one of the newest players in the backcountry soft goods category. Now Raid launched with a lightweight 40 liter backpack that immediately made a bit of a splash when it was released So I sat down with Kyle to learn about how and why he started RAID, the problems he's looking to solve with it, how he went about doing so with the RAID LF40 pack, the current state of the backcountry touring industry, the challenges and benefits of running a new small business in the category, what we should expect from RAID in the future, and more. Now, this episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Pulse Boot Lab and Ski Co., Put simply, Pulse's primary goal is for you to love your ski boots. They take a comprehensive and data-driven approach to making sure you are in the right boot, including using their proprietary foot scanning technology to help deliver the best boot and liner solution for you. Side note, if you are interested in learning about their unique technology, you can do that via episode 234 of Gear 30. Now, every Pulse boot is customized to your needs, including using their handcrafted ProFit injection liners, and they offer a wide selection of boots from top brands. They'll work with you to get the right balance of performance and comfort, something that is sure to change your experience out on the hill. Pulse has locations in Revelstoke, Banff, and Collingwood. That one is based out of Little Ed Ski and Bike Shop. So if you're around any of those zones, you can work with Pulse to help solve your boot problems this season. Head over to their website to learn more and book an appointment today at pulsebootlab.com i also want to note that we are just a few weeks away from this season's blister summit which is happening from february 4th to the 8th right in our hometown of mount crested butte colorado it's going to be a great time with tons of the latest and new for next year gear from dozens of brands and that includes all sorts of brands not just skis attendees will be able to test snowboards splitboards, Backcountry safety gear: helmets, goggles, and packs, including the Raid pack that we're actually discussing today. Just a few of the brands include Forefront, BCA, Carve, Deuter, Dinastar, Folsom, Glade, Icelandic, Kesley, Majesty, Moment, Mountain Flow, Owen Three P, Ordovox, Phantom Glide, Raid, Rosignol, Solomon, ZipFit, Zag, and more. You can check out our full list of brands as well as the athletes that will be at the summit this year. And get yourself registered at summit.blisterreview.com. We'll also have a link in the show notes of this episode. With that, let's get to my conversation with the man behind RAID, Kyle Siegel. So for starters, I think we could just learn a bit more about you in particular. Can you tell us a bit about both your professional background and your recreational background? Uh, Like what sort of sports are you in? How did you get into them? And How do you end up being in the position that you are in now?
1: Yeah, so I'll kind of bounce back and forth between my professional and recreational backgrounds just from a chronological perspective. But I grew up in Chicago, went to engineering school in Southern California, and I didn't grow up very much skiing. But once I went to school in Southern California, I was able to drive to Mammoth, which was like a game changer for me. I was so excited to get like 20 days in of skiing per season, opposed to like the three I got growing up. And uh, I worked at SpaceX in college. And after college, I was working on vibration fatigue uh, on their rockets and also was able to convince them to let me take a season off in between college and starting there full time. So I became a ski instructor at Vail and really loved ski instructing because it's like, got to think really analytically and use my engineering mind towards skiing. I ended up becoming like a fully certified ski instructor in two seasons. I've taught at Vail on and off full time, part time since then. Now I teach at Aspen, which is where Raid is based and where I live. And uh, I worked at various engineering jobs after SpaceX. And after like kind of five years after college of doing that, I decided I wanted to combine engineering and my passion for skiing and try to get a job in the outdoor industry. And I was able to convince someone at the North Face to give me a job in their performance outerwear team, which was awesome. It was like during the time they were developing future light. It was and that taught me a lot of skills that I have since applied to starting Raid. And um, I think really like understanding like product strategy, and the development calendar from the North Face, combined with more of an engineering ethos from SpaceX is really what has informed the direction of RAID. And I would, I would say that engineering ethos is, is thinking about things from a problem perspective. I think a lot of other brands might, uh, they think about like a category and a price point they want to build a product into. And I thought about it. I think about products like, what are the problems I'm trying to solve in the space? And how can I solve them with my product? So um, since the North Face, uh, my full time job is in, in engineering. Um, and I have since ski instructed and I've just gotten more and more into backcountry skiing. Uh, I got my pro one certification last year. So I've just continued to learn more and more on the Avaline safety side of things and I'd say I split my time like 50-50 in between backcountry and resort right now. Raid is a, a new player
0: in the industry. But what were some of those main problems that you were looking to solve?
1: Yeah, so I felt like a lot of brands in ski touring were equating low weight with speed. And I felt there was more to the picture than that. And that like be something being light doesn't always make it fast, doesn't always add to like being enjoyable to use. And I want and I felt like there are a lot of skiers that actually just like wanted more of a balance than what I saw in the market. I felt like in the market, things were either on the lightweight, like more skimo oriented side of the spectrum, or they were on the free ride side of the spectrum. And, you know, I think one thing that really illustrates this is like the trend of putting like a schema race binding on like a 115 underfoot powski. ski. And I think that's like an awesome compromise for a lot yep. of people. And I basically wanted to create like soft goods products that were the equivalent to that setup and where like, it was really a compromise between like being fast on uphill, but also being able to ski downhill with style. And just creating products around that whole ethos. Um, so I just didn't feel like that existed in soft goods. And my, like the peak of my frustration was in packs because I really feel like packs actually like, impact your speed on a ski tour and like enjoyability on a ski tour quite a bit. And like the light packs that are top loaders just slowed me down on my big objectives, trying to get to stuff. They were uncomfortable, which also slowed me down. Um, sometimes they break and then but like i don't want to use any of the like really overbuilt stuff gotcha
0: yeah i think the it's it's an interesting perspective in that like yeah we have been generally taught lighter stuff is yeah faster especially in terms of when we're talking about human-powered travel uh but yeah personally that's never been something that's i've really connected with like i'm 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 never turning on Strava when I'm clicking into my touring setup. I don't really care about how quickly I get to and from something. But I also really value a nice experience. And a lot of that I feel like is efficiency and things that just work well. And so, yeah, like you might not need to be trying to just beat your last lap time on a given route. But yeah, if you don't have to take off your pack as often or you don't have to undo as many buckles or whatever, the end result might actually end up being faster, but also just like a, for a lot of people, I think just be more enjoyable, hopefully.
1: Yeah, totally. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I think weight is super important, but I just felt like there more, there is was more to the picture than just weight and like, you like comfort and organization and access.
0: Gotcha. So when exactly in terms of the timeline, was there a distinct point where like I'm going to start my own brand or was it first like maybe I'll try making a one-off pack or how did that start?
1: A couple seasons ago, I was skiing Rainier with like a semi-custom pack I'd made with a, another smaller company and it had a side zip access and a roll top and I was like A-framing my skis on the upper half of Rainier and the A-frame blocked the side zip access, it blocked the roll top. And I was at that point, that was like the peak of my frustration. I was like, I need to make the perfect pack for myself. And so I hit up a couple like through hiking, smaller um, custom pack companies and asked if they could, I had a kind of a design in my head that is very similar to what is now uh, the RAID LF40 liter, and asked them if they could make it. And one person thought they could and then ended up saying they didn't have the time later. And then kind of like through that whole process, thinking more about the pack made me realize like it embodied a category, like the category we just spoke about and the gap in the market we just spoke about. So I was like, okay, like I actually kind of want to see if I can start a company. Like let me see if I can get into a factory. So to like speak to the timing. So I basically through different contacts, um, heard of like the top, they're like three top technical pack factories in the world. I emailed them, got into one. They make like Osprey, Mammut, BCA, Paxi, some North Face stuff. And yeah, I was, I was really excited. They let me in and I got the first prototype uh, about a year and a half ago. Like, I can't remember if it was the end of 2022 or early 2023 and just went through like a super quick product. Well, it's super quick, like in terms of when you compare to the calendar of other brands being like under a year, but I did nine prototyping rounds. So that's like typically you might see three or four from some of the bigger brands. So it was expedited in time, but quite longer from like an iteration perspective. Than other brands, which is I think is like one of the competitive advantages that I have.
0: In terms of like when you're going through the prototyping process, you have an engineering background, you've worked in the outdoor industry. Like were you having to learn how to do tech packs from scratch? Were were there were there any like surprising aspects during that process where you're like, oh, this this is way more complicated or way more difficult than I expected?
1: Yeah, I think so. I had someone help me early on with the tech packing. And then after like the first two rounds, I did all of the design and development. Um, Mm -hmm. and you can get away with like pretty rough tech packs is what I've learned. (laughs) But, (laughs) but basically, um, and, and for like the listeners, like a tech pack is just basically like the blueprint you send to the factory of the product. And so I think, a big challenge was just like some of the things I thought maybe were obvious to the factory weren't as obvious as I thought. And I def there was definitely a learning curve with like how detailed I needed to be and getting better at communicating with them. Like everything, the main challenge of the, of building the product is just like communication with the factory and being really clear.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out like a 2d or even pseudo 3d drawing on a computer is, uh, A lot harder to translate to like an actual (laughs) physical Uh, (laughs) object. I've dealt with that a bit in the past. So during the process, you had kind of figured out you wanted to make this pack that didn't necessarily fit into a current category or wasn't made by another manufacturer. What were some of the... Main priorities in terms of features or specs or other aspects of the backpack that from the get go, you're like, this is kind of a must have for me. This is what is going to make this thing different from what else is out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, from like a big picture, I wanted it to be light enough um, that I was ex- like excited about the weight. I wanted it to be comfortable. Um, I wanted it to be really clean on the outside. So I call that the anti-Christmas tree design philosophy. I don't want anything like... I wanted to put a product forward in the market that had the point of view of like, nothing should be dangling off the pack. And which is kind of more of like an alpinism philosophy. And um, getting more into the detail, there's, there's like specific, specific problems that I wanted to solve. So I wanted to make a better helmet carry um, because... I just felt like doing those elastic mesh helmet carries on the outside of the pack. I call that like a turtle shell helmet carry uh, was slow. And then often, like a lot of times people don't put those away and they're just like hanging on the outside when you're skiing. It needed to be back panel access because that is one of the features that I felt was more important. It's the only like access, like way to access a pack that is never blocked by different ski carries and gives you like full access to all your stuff. And there are like other little things like I wanted the ice picks to be, the picks of the ice tools to be fully enclosed. Uh, I wanted it to be like a versatile design. So I wanted to be able to flex up to a hot trip. And I think when you have to switch packs a lot, or at least when I have to switch packs a lot, I forget stuff. So I kind of wanted it to cover. Yep, I can most of, to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to cover like most backcountry ski needs. And then like, I really want it to be like built around with like built with how someone flows in the mountains in mind. So like an example is having a place to put your skins that's not in the main compartment of the pack, because that's something that you're always taking on and off. Um, I wanted a stash pocket on the front, separate from the main compartment to put stuff you're taking on off like your skins or a layer. A lot of packs didn't have something like that. I think, you know, your skins are wet a lot and you don't want to put them in the main compartment. Uh, another example of something built around how someone flows in the mountains is like the little glove stash on the shoulder strap. A lot of times you'll take your gloves off and touch your phone and you might just take an extra couple seconds like stopping to put your gloves on your poles or stashing them like in a layer and if I could save you, you know, like five seconds, 10 times during a tour with a well-designed product, that gets me pretty excited.
0: Well, yeah, I think that we might as well get into the details of the, the RAID LF 40 liter pack. I, am I correct in guessing that LF
1: stands for light and fast? It does, yeah, which is just getting at okay. like what I talked about in the beginning, which, which was like light doesn't always equal fast. And so it's light and fast.
0: Gotcha. Well, cool. Yeah. the I feel like one of the, I mean, one of the things that stood out to me the most when I first saw a picture of it is the fabrics that it uses. And I think with any pack, that's a, I mean, that's what makes up the bulk of uh, a lot of the materials. Uh, so would you be able to talk a bit about during the prototyping process, what were some of your priorities when it came to the materials you were using and uh kind of some of the options out there that you were considering.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I wanted them to be light, durable, and sustainable from a high level and and waterproof. Um I think those were like the four main characteristics I was looking out of a fabric. Um and I think, you know, trying to create a high-end pack, I think one important thing to know is like cost is not one of those four things I was looking for. Like I wasn't looking for a cheap fabric. I did not gotcha. consider cost in like the development of the pack. I was like, I just want to create the product that I want to see in the world. And then I will evaluate the cost later. And my factory like will look at me like I was crazy. They're like, do you want a bill of materials for this round to know your cost?" And I just, there are times where I would just say like, I'll, I'll see it in like a couple rounds when the design is more finalized. But going back to the fabric, I basically like with those criteria, mainly like light and strong, like the pinnacle material, the best material right now that exists is what most people know as Dyneema. And Dyneema is like the name for ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. And it's kind of like Kleenex and tissue. Like Dyneema is like the branded name, and they patented that technology. Now the patent is up, so that you'll see other names like Spectra and Extrema. Those are also uh, the same yarn, and just different companies making it. My my supplier I ended up choosing is called Challenge. I can get into the really nitty gritty of of different constructions of Dyneema because what sets like my fabric, apart from uh, other constructions of Dyneema, is that uh, in my Dyneema. So I, my fabric is a woven Dyneema. So in other brands, they'll take the Dyneema yarn and they'll sandwich it in between like two fabrics, and the Dyneema yarn they're like put together in a grid, but they're not actually woven together. So in like the most competitive ultralight pack brand this is what they use it's called a dyneema composite and basically because the dyneema isn't woven together um it needs like a it needs to be sandwiched between two fabrics um Mm -hmm. they a lot of the dyneema composites they'll they will sandwich it with a polyester 150 denier face fabric and so your abrasion is actually dictated by the face fabric and not the Dyneema. Mm-hmm. And uh, on my on the material I use, the Dyneema is woven together and is is the face fabric. So that's why my fabric ends up being eight times more abrasion resistant than those Dyneema composite fabrics because the stronger yarn is is what's facing the abrasion and. That's why if some of listeners, you probably have owned like a Dyneema composite tent or a stuff sack or something like that, the, they can end up like being a little hairy. And that's because those Dyneema threads aren't actually woven together. So once the face fabric gets worn through, the Dyneema can just kind of like stick up and create this hairy texture.
0: I see. Is there, um, in your experience, is there an obvious reason or reasons uh, to go with, yeah, the woven Dyneema face fabric versus the Dyneema composite with a different face fabric. Um, is there obvious reasons why you'd go one with one or the other?
1: Yeah. So the, the reason that the, so the Dyneema woven is just now coming, uh, becoming more popular and that's because Dyneema doesn't stick to glue. Um, so with my current fabric, like the Dyneema is woven in with a polyester. And the polyester is what sticks to the glue that's then laminated to a waterproof film. And that the waterproofness is another big topic that I'll touch on next. Um, but so that's why they needed like to have these in the past, these like floating Dyneema fabrics in between two other fabrics so that it would all get stuck together. So there's not necessarily you know, better uses for one or the other. Like I think, um, you know, in the past, some of these woven dynamo wovens have had trouble with like lamination issues, but I think the newest versions have been a lot better and it's all been developed like in the past couple of years.
0: I see. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the, the film, um, yeah. What are the other aspects of this primary fabric that you're using?
1: Yeah, so it's fully recycled. So that's really exciting. And then the waterproofness is something that I think is not really talked to a lot about in packs. So your typical like pack that is not made of Dyneema is usually like a woven nylon. It might have a rip stop component. So, like a kind of like a grid pattern, that grid might be Dyneema, that grid might be something called Robic nylon, which is like a higher tenacity nylon yarn. Um, and those all have a PU backing for their waterproofness. And a lot of those PU backings are rated between like a thousand millimeters to 2000 millimeters hydrostatic head. And for like people that are more into outerwear, they probably recognize what I'm talking about. Most outerwear you'll see is like rated 20K, 20K or 30K. And that is the millimeters. Of the water column that you can place on top of that fabric before the water permeates the the, like goes through the fabric. So it's pretty crazy that most people's backpacks are like 10 to 20 times less waterproof than their jacket. And you're depending on your backpack to keep all your stuff dry. And at the same time, the waterproofness just isn't something that people evaluate um, when they're buying a pack. And the, fabric I use this Dyneema woven is laminated to a film and it, it's waterproofness is about 130,000 millimeter hydrostatic head. So it's like, (laughs) yeah. So it's like, can be, you know, six to 10 times more waterproof than your jacket. Um, And like, I think that's pretty important. Yeah. Um, The seams aren't sealed of the pack just because I don't think that's typically needed in like a pack that's primarily used in the snow. But the waterproofness and the durability of the waterproof film is really strong. It like people that have had those types of packs that have that PU backing forever have probably had a pack where it peels off after a while. And that will not happen with the fabric that is in my pack.
0: Cool. So that's the body fabric of the RAID LF 40 uh, Also, looking at the pack, you can see some different fabrics um, and as we'll get into all sorts of different features, but it seems like that ultra high molecular weight polyethylene, if I got that right, is kind of a key standout feature across the board. Um, how is it utilized in other aspects of the pack?
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of different fabrics that make up the pack basically because I was trying to minimize the weight and have the fabric used in each component like completely tailored to that component so uh for example like the grid uh that's used on the cinch top is just like softer and less stiff so it makes just like a nicer to use cinch top that is your like typical pack fabric with like a nylon rip stop the rip stop is uh that dyneema thread um it does have that like less waterproof backing and, uh, that most pack fabrics use. But, uh, the reason it's okay is because it's actually in my pack, never the only layer in between the outside and your stuff on the inside. There's always like a more waterproof layer behind it, um, or under it. Or, um, so like the cinch top then has this roll top that's under it the roll top that's under it is super light. It's a lot less durable than the rest of the pack because it's normally tucked away behind other fabrics. So when you go into hot trip mode or like approach mode and you have that roll top fully expanded, uh, you just have to be a little bit more careful with it. But because that's like a use case that's less prevalent, I decided it's better to sacrifice some durability to decrease weight and that has like a an X sort of pattern built into it. That X is called a cross ply, um, and that cross ply is Dyneema um, in that fabric. And 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 because that is a waterproofing element of the pack, it also has that three layer construction where it has that really durable film to waterproof it. Uh, that's probably my favorite fa- fabric on the pack. Actually, it's called TX50 and. Um, I also chose it because it's stiff, so like the roll top stands up by itself.
0: yeah, that's something I noticed right away um when we first started using that this fall. I guess on that note let's let's dive into some of the other details um the name kind of suggests forty liters at least standard capacity um but can you tell us a bit about the you mentioned like the hut trip mode? It's got a cinch top and a roll top um how did you go about designing kind of the, the main compartment and the storage uh, solutions and versatility, I guess, for this pack in particular? Um, how, and, and I guess, what did you end up with with the final product?
1: Yeah. So it was really like, I wanted to create a design that was like space efficient. And so I think usually to achieve that, you have to be like relatively simplistic and not have like tons of, uh, Pockets and um, little like little pockets on the pack, those tend to eat up volume and you want to like maximize the volume so you can minimize the fabric and then minimize the, the weight or min- maximize like the efficiency of the volume, I guess, is, is one way to look at it. Um, so I just wanted like a, a main body of the pack that was accessible from the top and the back as well with like a stash pocket on the front and that was kind of like the overall design i had in my head when i started the project as well as like those little things i mentioned earlier um and yeah like jumping into the roll top i that was to create a more versatile pack so i wanted something where like it could expand to a hut trip but that uh because roll tops are slow i wanted a way for you to not use the roll top um so like one you can always get into the pack with the back panel so you don't always have to touch the roll top and then two uh there's a way to stow the roll top so you can roll it like backwards on itself and there are these little snaps to tuck it out of the way so that you just have a cinch top at the top as well we
0: we have a first look of the pack on our website that has all of specific details for anyone who does uh want to check that out we don't need to go over every single number but um yeah any other features that you're particularly psyched about or or proud of on this pack that we haven't already covered
1: yeah i think i probably mentioned a couple of those things too early in the podcast but uh yeah like the helmet carry there are a number of reasons why i really like it um one it's high up on the pack so it works well with a diagonal ski carry um a lot of packs with like the turtle shell helmet carry i explained earlier like cannot be used with the diagonal ski carry because they would just they just intersect um it also because it's high up on the pack um makes like a flatter front side of the pack so when you do put the pack down to access the back panel Mm -hmm. it's not just like a seesaw on the helmet uh, it 's stable, which is important if you 're like on an narrow ridge line or something like that um, and then it 's really secure so I like to put, i always throw my crampons inside my helmet, and if my helmet carry i don 't worry about that but with other helmet carries, I would not opt to do that and potentially lose a uh, like crucial piece of my equipment um so all of those yeah. things were like problems I was trying to solve and I I really like that. And then, yeah, you, below the helmet carry, you get that stash pocket. I throw my skins in there. I throw, I, I usually start a tour with like an active insulator and, you know, like maybe 20 minutes in, I just like throw it in that stash pocket and that's what I'm like grabbing in and out. So it's nice to not touch a zipper to grab that or stow it. Um, and I'd say... Those two things, plus the back panel, are the main features of what I tried to set out to do, which is like create a pack that I thought made you faster through good access in an organization and then the, the some this confuses some people, but there's like a hole in the avalanche uh divider or the the fabric between the pocket or Avi tools go into any of the main compartment and uh, something that's been frustrating to me with a lot of packs are like how space inefficient your avi tools can be. So like normally avi like pockets for your avalanche tools and packs are flat, but your avalanche tools are like your shovel blade is curved. And so I wanted to create something that allowed for the curvature of your shovel blade without taking a, or using unused space in your pack so i put this hole Mm -hmm. in the avi tool divider so like the throat of your shovel can stick in a little bit to the main compartment and that doesn't matter a ton because you're usually accessing it from the back panel so you're just placing stuff on top of that like where your shovel handle sticks out versus like having to navigate around it
0: cool so we just got obviously pretty deep into the weeds for this pack But if we want to step out, step away a bit, kind of broad overview, how would you summarize this backpack and kind of what sort of people might want to check it out?
1: Yeah, so um, it's 40 liters. It's a true 40 liter and it weighs 1,100 grams, comes in two colors, uh, two torso lengths. So we do have a smaller size and a larger size. Uh, The volumes are the same. And, uh, I'd say another thing that's a little bit different from this pack on the broad overview side is it's, it's pretty wide and that is to minimize the depth of the pack so that it skis as well as possible and has all of the weight mm-hmm. as close to your center of mass as possible. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it cinches down really well so you can use it for, I use it for like all of my typical day tours, whether it's like my hour, like post work lap or like my biggest day trips. So like Rainier, near um, some of the 14ers and the Elks around us, like all of that stuff. It really excels. It works really well for hut trips. I don't take it with me uh, uphilling the resort. It's a little bit much. And I'd say like on the other side of the spectrum, if you're going to bring a tent, it will definitely be a tight squeeze uh definitely works for some people but uh it's those like that you know 90 percent of touring in the middle that i built the pack for gotcha
0: yeah we were talking earlier we've we're currently when we're recording this in the middle of a pretty gnarly avalanche cycle because thankfully we just got a bunch of snow but uh because of that yeah i've not been pushing in the alpine but i have been using the raid 40 liter pack for uh really short pow surfing days uh and it's worked great for that even when it's just like basically avi gear a jacket and that's basically it but it does compress down quite well
1: yeah a lot of people have been commenting on that it's because it's just like a simple pack there's not a lot that gets in the way of just like cinching it down Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: cool well yeah that's obviously like the the product you launch with um the most complex one the one that kind of started the company but can you tell us a bit about a bit more about uh any other products that you're currently offering or that are
1: potentially in the works down the line yeah so we have one other product that is probably about as niche as it gets uh we have <laughs> this forward lean mod for the Technica 0G uh, tour boots so and not the peak boot, um, but the heavier one. Uh, I feel I've long felt like that boot is one of the best, uh, balanced boots in between like weight and ski performance. But my one qualm with the boot that has stopped me from reaching for it as much as I would like is that it's pretty upright. It has like a, Twelve degree forward lean stock. It adjusts to a thirteen degree. Um, if you're using a binding with less toe to heel delta, um, it's it puts you in a pretty upright ski position. And I just wanted to make this for myself. Uh, uh-huh. I <laughs> to to like make it cost to make the cost work out. You know, economics work out. I needed to make fifty. Um, and it sold out in like a month, which was really exciting. Uh, I'm making (laughs) more. Um, so that'll be back on the website, you know, in the next couple of weeks and people have been loving it. So that's been awesome. And then in terms of like future products, like I am, the goal of Raid is to basically solve problems for human power movement in the mountains and with like good design. Good materials and really understanding like the market and the problems people have so uh, we will get into apparel I'm really excited about our first apparel product I'll just say it's uh, it's a pants uh, or pants/ bid and it will use some soft shelf fabrics uh, I think basically a lot of Touring apparel falls into like the same spectrum I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, which, you know, you have stuff that's like tight and bright on the schema side, and then you have stuff that's like heavy, baggy on the freeride side. And I, there's not a lot of softshell pants that even like fit over a beefier boot. Uh, so I'm excited about something in that space. Uh, we have a 30 liter pack coming out next season that I've been relatively open about, and we have some other exciting stuff in the pipeline. Uh, that I'm gonna be a little bit more secretive about, but stay tuned next season. And, and then in terms of like summer stuff, we're gonna enter trail running. I'm not sure if it'll be this summer, or next summer, but I have some cool equipment planned there. Yeah, I think like basically with, with raid, like us from the start, like once I got designed this backpack, I wanted to turn it into like a, durable company that would last and not just like a one product company. And I'm, I'm really excited. The LF40 leader is like just the start. And I have like five years of ideas of stuff that will be coming out. And I think people will be really
0: excited about. Sweet. Well, yeah, I think on that note, um, we see like, at least at blister, we see tons of new companies all the time. And, uh, they often bring cool innovation. Some stick around. Some do not. I feel like there is a lot of turnover in the kind of startup category of the outdoor industry. I'm guessing like a lot of startup categories. But with that in mind, was there were there any like core tenants about how you set up the business, how you went about evolving it that uh, you're proud of, or that you find interesting, or anything anything from like the, the more small business development side of things that you want to touch on.
1: Yeah, I think for me, uh, something that's not really talked about in the outdoor industry is when you buy a product, you're not just buying like the cost to make that product and the raw materials that go into that product. You're paying for the what that company spends to sell you the products. That's its marketing, its PR. Um It's events, it's sales reps, all of that. And I think with a lot of the bigger companies, like what ends up happening is the cost of the product gets squeezed so that more money can go into marketing, paying more people, stuff like that. That's all. There's nothing wrong with that. I think they're like, variety is great. A lot of the big brands are doing great things and like that's working for them. But like, you know, as a startup, you have to be pretty, judicious with where you spend your money and I wanted to create a product that at an attainable price point but like like I said earlier the cost was not something I was engineering Um, so I wasn't trying to like constantly decrease the cost Uh, so where that left me is like how do I make a company where like I can sink my money into the product and not sink my money into other stuff that like the customer might appreciate less Um, so like I'm the only person at Raid Um, I have like two people that help me with some of the branding and marketing but I do the design development I do the customer support um, I do the Instagram like anytime you reach out to the company it's me there's always people that are like can I get in touch with your marketing director and I'm like sure (laughs) (laughs) it's Hello. Like, it's me. <laughs> um, and yeah. So that's something I think a lot about and like will continue to think about. And, um, is like, I'm just want to be a company that's like default alive and, um, not like default surviving. Or, like if something happens in the economy or like, um, we're not gonna cease to exist. And like, I, I think a lot of startups might get over their skis a bit on spending and that has led to some of their demise where um instead of just like focusing on building building a great product growing organically they you know decide they want to make marketing their like competitive advantage instead of the product their competitive advantage and ultimately i think that's not like a way to build a durable company gotcha yeah i think there's some valid points there for sure and um
0: I think, uh, being around for not the very beginning of blister, but I've been here for many years now and I can definitely relate a bit in terms of the, at least the wearing many hats aspects of it. Uh, yeah. I never yeah. really know how to describe my job when people ask about it. I think another interesting aspect with, uh, especially smaller brands, newer brands is yeah being a bit more flexible or you can kind of, you're not, Set in stone to these yearly cycles. Have you had any interesting takeaways from that perspective? Like you talked about working with this factory, going through the prototyping process, but it sounds like it's maybe not as kind of cut and dry as a big company who's been working with this factory for decades and knows that this time of year we send them the prototypes for this year and then we get the samples now. And like, how's that been?
1: Yeah. So, like, typically, Just to explain to listeners, like the bigger brands, like they'll have their product for next year done now because they need to like show it to shops to get wholesale orders for next season so that they know how much to produce. They need to get it on athletes to be in movies. They can use that for marketing material next season. And they need to get it in the hands of reviewers like Blister so that you guys can write your reviews and either like release first looks this season or pull out, like, come out with your first review next season. Um, And like, there are a lot of great upsides to that. And uh, if I wasn't so like, kind of crunched on time, starting the development process, I would have loved to be on that calendar. But I found myself on a different calendar, and was just focused on building a great product. And then I found that all those other things came. Uh, with just focusing on the product. So um, the pros are like, I'm still working on product now for next season. So I'm getting real-time feedback from more people that I can incorporate into the product. I got feedback in like September from Jim Ryan using the pack in New Zealand that was then incorporated into the production pack that landed, uh, that was produced in November. And so... That's like, I think just being a little bit more nimble is something I'm using to my advantage right now. And we still were able to get into a bunch of retail stores, even though we didn't have a sample to show them until, you know, October, November, we still got some coverage from people like Blister because you guys just like to cover interesting products and stories. And so far it's working out. Maybe we'll get bigger. We'll have to get on that other calendar, but... Uh, right now, we're we're making it work.
0: Gotcha. And on on that note, like you mentioned, getting feedback from people. Who are some of the people that you're kind of sending sending these packs to, or, or having them test them, getting the real world feedback, and implementing it into future
1: iterations. Yeah. So we have like a pretty robust uh, team of athletes, guides, ambassadors. I really wanted to. Uh, put together a team of people that I felt like were mixing uh, like big objectives with a lot of style on the descent. And the first person that came to mind when I started Raid was like, I want to sign Jim Ryan. And if you haven't seen Jim Ryan skiing, like check it out. Uh, he's a comes from a race background, but now takes that style and will just like arc GS turns on the Grand Teton uh and he's just getting started so I'm really excited to have partnered up with him he really put the pack through its paces uh in New Zealand over the summer with Sam Smoothie uh I also really like people who just like bring a unique flavor to the sport and another person I reached out to was Bernie Rosso who's like very different style than Jim he's like skiing park um but also skiing a lot in the backcountry um and then yeah, so a lot of people like that, I mix into the team, we have a ton of guides, a lot of guides are carrying like a 40 liter pack. They're out there every day. So they absolutely thrash the pack. They're great testers. And there are features like that I didn't mention in the pack that are built with guides in mind, like the removable back panel that you can use for like first aid reasons. And yeah, so we have guides all over the US, some that are like, heavy on social media. Some that are less heavy. Um, some of them are listed on our website, but we've been like a lot, so many awesome athletes and guides have been hitting me up and I've wanted to get them on the team. I've been a little slow to update the website and, but we're really excited to like bring forward people of different backgrounds, ski styles, professions onto the team, but all of them, their main sport is ski touring. They're like, doing big objectives and they all bring a unique flavor to that style of skiing.
0: All right, Kyle. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to run us through kind of the backstory purpose, current products, and see some future ones for raid Uh, for the people out there listening. uh, We have been testing the pack, Uh, both Justin, Bob and I are testing it this winter and we'll be posting a full review Later on, once we've been able to spend more time on it, other than just hiking up a hundred foot power surfing hill, uh, hopefully (laughs) fully testing the technical capabilities. But for anyone who wants to check out the products in person, uh, you can actually do so at this year's Blister Summit, uh, February 4th to the 8th at Mount Crested Butte. Raid will be there. People can take out their packs on the guided backcountry tours that you can go on as part of the summit, in addition to a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, so we'll leave a a link in this episode for that, but yeah, for now, uh, thank you for joining me and I'm looking forward to hopefully, uh, skiing together at some point in a few weeks.
1: Yeah. I'm so excited. I haven't been yet, so I'm really looking forward to it. Sweet. Well, I'll see you then. See you
0: then. With that, I will close out this episode of gear 30. Thank you to Kyle for the conversation. Thank you to Justin Bob for producing this episode and thank you all for listening. As always, take good care of yourselves and everyone else, and we will talk to you again next week. See ya.